And uh, welcome to the podcast of Tech.eu, Europe's premier technology industry information portal and market intelligence platform. This is episode number 104, released on February 6th, 2019. If you haven't done so yet, subscribe to the podcast on your app of choice, including iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud, and don't miss the new episodes coming out at least weekly. Today we are going to talk about Uber and Cabify live in Barcelona, about companies that want to help you own and monetize your data, about hidden automation agenda of the corporates and much more. We also have a pre-recorded interview with uh, Tavit Hindrikus, uh, the co-founder and CEO of uh, TransferWise. I am your host, Andre Degelor, a tech journalist based in Amsterdam, joined today for the first time by Chris Ward, a.k.a. Chris Chinchilla, a technical writer, blogger, podcaster, developer, musician, and many, many other things uh, based in Berlin. Chris happened to be in the Dutch capital today and fortunately had time to come by. Great to have you here today, Chris. Hey, nice to meet you, Andre. So can you just quickly tell the listeners about uh, yourself? I just named a few things that you do, but what uh, what's the main thing for you? I think the, the musician is, is more very much the past, but uh, it was in the past, yes. These days, I don't know, I guess I have my fun with tech journalism, mostly focusing on um, more technical tech journalism, if that makes sense. But I make my money <laughs> from uh, tech writing for companies, um, documentation, blog posts, videos, presentations, books, all sorts of things for a wide variety of companies. And that's why I happen to be in Amsterdam, helping one of those companies. Right. And how about your podcasting? So I have my uh, weekly show, which I've just changed the format slightly for this year. I think an episode went out probably a day or so before this. I don't know what it will be on. <laughs> make it up as I go along a lot of the time. I'm going to start a new show actually this year, which is going to be a little different called The Enthusiastic Amateur. It will be probably once every few months and it'll be much more produced and researched and I'll kind of find a topic that I am interested in for that time and get enthusiastic about it and try and find as much as I can. It's still growing in a for as a format, but that's going to be a new show I'm going to try this year. That's pretty cool. And the current one is called Weekly Squeak, is it? That's it. I've, I've, I've rebranded it to, uh, again. <laughs> I really I really like the name, though. I think I, I think it's great. It matches the chinchilla thing, I think. I don't actually don't say squeak, <laughs> but it'll do. <laughs> Why chinchilla, though? Actually, the origins of that name are extremely boring and uninteresting. It just Someone just said it to me once uh, in, like, 98 or something, and it just stuck. <laughs> that's it, really. Yeah, that's uh, that's how it happens pretty yeah. often. No relevance. It's, I've had it for a long time. It's just become part of my... Yeah, I think it's great that you decided to, to stick with it. Yeah. I think it's cool. My real name is so common that I tend to not use it that much because it'd be very hard to find me. So our normal uh, co-host, uh, Natalie, is not around today, uh, unfortunately, but it doesn't mean that we're not going to hear her voice later in the episode because uh, she has recorded her recommendations and an event overview separately. Now, before we get on with it, I wanted to uh, mention one more thing. Uh, we are recording this on uh, the 1st of February, which is the DNS Flag Day. And I just recently heard about it, but it's uh, pretty important for everyone who has uh, uh, domain names uh, registered. 
Basically, what happens today is that a bunch of uh, DNS service providers have coordinated to drop the support uh, for uh, legacy uh, DNS uh, formats, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, switch to uh, eDNS or extended DNS, which allows uh, uh, more things uh, with, uh, with DNS uh, queries. So what you need to do if you have domains registered is to go to dnsflagday.net and check whether your, domain, your DNS uh, provider is uh, compliant with this latest version of eDNS. And if it's not, then you might be in uh, trouble and your website might stop working really soon. So yeah, check this out. Now, let's go on with the episode and we'll start as usual with the biggest deal of the week, which this time goes to the Belgian data tech scale up called Colibra, which turned unicorn uh, last week after raising 100 million US dollars from Capital G, which is uh, Google's investment arm. The products of Calibra make it easier for enterprises to find, interpret, and trust the organizational data, which is often stuck in silos or otherwise hard to obtain or understand. So this is an enterprise data startup and a new unicorn on the block. Next up, stories and interviews. And uh, today I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the departure of uh, Uber and uh, Cabify uh, from the city of Barcelona, the capital of uh, Catalonia. So starting from, again, today, the 1st of February, both uh, ride-hailing companies are not in Barcelona anymore. Both of them have suspended their service after a new regulation has been approved by the Catalan authorities that makes the operation of the services just uh, totally impossible, at least in uh, their current form. I'm going to explain what exactly has happened in a little bit, but first I have to say that this news generally shows a big triumph of the taxi companies, like legacy taxi companies in Barcelona, uh, which have been putting pressure on the authorities for a very long time to do something with this uh, pesky ride-hailing services. Uh, Here is some history on the matter. Uber's normal uh, peer-to-peer service that uh, was initially introduced in the US and then moved to Europe with unlicensed drivers, it was kicked out of Barcelona all the way back in 2014, again because of the taxi driver strike, not in the last place. It took Uber three and a half years to return to the Catalan capital in early 2018 uh, with a new way of working. So what they did is that Uber paid to get so-called vehicle for hire licenses, uh, so-called VTC, uh, for its drivers. VTC is different from taxes. As far as I understand, it's a bit less strictly regulated. And it's not really meant, I think, to be used uh, the way Uber did. Anyway, it's taken the taxi associations a year of uh, striking and petitioning the local government to squeeze Uber together with Cabify out of the city. So the new regulations, it's really, it's, it's really an interesting thing. The new regulations, they impose a series of limitations on these uh, vehicles uh, for hire, the VTCs. And uh, those are, if you ask me, pretty ridiculous at some point. So first one is really funny. Uh, the minimum waiting time between the booking of the car and its arrival has to be at least 15 minutes. Actually, the taxi drivers are also against this requirement. They say, they say it makes no sense. But they say that it has to be more. They say that this requirement is way too short and taxi associations said that uh, they wanted to be increased uh, to 24 hours uh, for VTCs, not for taxes, of course. Uh, but uh, Barcelona authorities uh, promised to increase uh, this limitation to an hour, but that, uh, that hasn't happened yet. So basically, if you want to take a taxi after uh, having a dinner in Barcelona, if you want to take an Uber after uh, taking a dinner in Barcelona, if Uber, of course, comes back to the city, you will have to wait 
either 15 minutes or an hour. Not 24 hours, though. <laughs> yeah, not, not, not yet, not yet. Now, the second one, uh, the, these VTCs are also not allowed to roam freely on the streets while waiting for the next order. Instead, they are required to return to a base, such as parking lot or a garage, and uh, wait there. And here, uh, the authorities also uh, cite uh, the reasons uh, like uh, uh, congestion and air pollution and all that. Kind of understandable, I guess. That actually, because I know um, in London especially, this has become... A huge problem. They had they got rid of a lot of the traffic problems in central London, and they came back again with all these uh, cars driving around waiting for fares. Which yeah, you know, that that actually seems like a positive, I suppose. Yeah, but as far as I understand, it's also again it's so it's for VTCs and not for taxis. That that's the thing. But I remember in London there were, there was a a pretty big story. I think in the Guardian at some point that a lot of uh, Uber drivers <clears throat> were kind of stationed around uh, the airports and like around the airports. I mean like a few neighborhoods around the airports, and they were uh, wreaking all sorts of havoc there and uh, congesting and like. And I, I, now I mean seriously, just like going uh, uh, going to the toilet uh, in the bushes because there was nowhere else to go and. <laughs> Wild <laughs> stuff like that. So yeah, I guess this is okay. More or less, uh, more or less okay. Uh, next one, the most annoying part, of course, for Uber and Cabify. According to the new rules, uh, they are not allowed to show in real time where the available cars are in the city before the booking is made. And this looks like it just made exactly against. Uh, these particular companies in order to uh, squeeze them out at least for now and appease uh, the taxi uh, taxi companies anyway on january 31st both uber and cabify announced that they are suspending their services until further notice that is in barcelona uh, it doesn't really look like they're inclined to return though unless the regulation changes but we're going to see how that uh, pans out later. It's also an interesting timing for this new regulation, of course, because in less than a month, uh, Barcelona will host the Mobile World Congress, that is MWC, a huge trade show, if you don't know, for all things and products uh, mobile. And uh, when I say huge, I mean, it's really huge. It takes, I think, at least an hour to walk from one side to the other, maybe actually more. And in the previous years, uh, taxi drivers and taxi associations would often stage strikes during the event, screwing up the transportation for the whole city, because it's a, a huge influx of people and uh, most of them tend to take uh, cabs and uh, they really congest uh, the city and uh, if the taxes are striking then everything just in a, st in a standstill. So maybe this time things will get a little bit better in that uh, respect but everybody will have to take official taxes. Uh, speaking of MWC, Tech EU is going to hold its uh, traditional Mobile Sunday event uh, the day before the trade show kicks off. It's going to be a great evening of networking and talks at uh, the Estrella Dam Brewery. It's a great venue, by the way. If you're around, uh, do check it out, and I'll put the link to the event in the show notes. Are you going to MWC, Chris? No, I'm not going this year, but I have been to that event several times, and it is always fun. Actually, a couple of little things to pick up on the story. Um, mostly, I've only ever been to Barcelona for Mobile Congress, which is probably the worst time to ever go to Barcelona. And we have always had very bad taxi experience. I didn't actually, I must admit, I thought Cabify was kind of the alternative that European cities liked. Maybe I don't know enough about Cabify, because that's who we used last time. And actually, it wasn't great. The taxi driver turned up in a place that we couldn't figure out where he was then said we never turned up, and then we got charged. And, <laughs> and I was like, well, I didn't even see the taxi. But we hit upon a nice trick last year. We found an apartment that is quite well-priced, and you can actually walk to the venue. Oh. Um, 
quite easily. Oh, actually, no, no, I tell a lie. You can, you can walk about two minutes to a bus stop and get the bus to the venue really easily. And that's our little secret apartment now. <laughs> this is where we do go. But interestingly, in Berlin, where Uber has been banned for a long time and still is sort of, it's kind of back in a sort of a way. Interestingly, the local taxi company, so this is My Taxi, the app, ended up, I guess, doing the better thing of taking all the functionality that people liked and then building it into the official taxi apps. So now you have real-time tracking, select preferences, pay by the app, all this kind of stuff. So I felt that was a fairly constructive way of doing it. Yeah. Instead of just fighting against them, they actually learnt from them instead, which Berlin taxis are not cheap, but um, they're generally quite good. Um, and it seems to have worked quite well, actually. I think my taxi is in other cities as well. But. Yeah, 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 yeah. My taxi is in a few places, and I like it. I think it's a great app. But is it the same in the, in the whole of Germany, or is it just Berlin? This I'm way? not sure. I, I, don't, I think they only just tried Berlin first. And they, have, they had a weird rule for ages that they could run, but they, the drivers had to charge at cost or something. Hmm. And they could only find like four drivers who were willing to do this. <laughs> it was like four Uber drivers going around. And then for a while, it was basically a taxi aggregation service. You just booked a taxi through the Uber app. And now they do have UberX, but I haven't used it yet. I don't know. It's not that much cheaper. And I just got so used to if I, I very rarely even need a taxi in Berlin. But if I do, I will just use a taxi. Like It's usually a business trip or something. I don't know. I know they exist now, but they're sort of severely reduced service than you'd get in most yeah. cities. Decimated. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to go for another word that I, I couldn't think of a nicer word, but that'll do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah so no more uh, ride-hailing for now in uh, Barcelona. Now, Chris, what's, uh, what's your story uh, for the day? Yeah, I tried to find a European sort of focus story, and I've been a little bit out of touch the past week. So I picked something that has been on my radar for a little while. It feeds a little bit into the Calibra story, this aspect, I guess, of... One of my predictions a couple of years ago, which seems to have mostly become true, is that GDPR would offer opportunities for companies. A lot of people thought it would cripple companies, but actually there would also be other companies that emerged because of it. And a lot of oh, yeah. the apparent kind of model for, for them is around GDPR enforcement. And so another side of this is this uh, aspect of owning your data and the ability to be able to monetize your data. And a lot of companies have been talking about this in various aspects, a lot of the blockchain ones, because you have this kind of direct mapping and record of your data. There's like health records. There's a whole bunch of people trying this. A lot of companies, some come and go very quickly, some stick around. This one was a particular one in the UK called DigiMe. This is on a, a, an article from the BBC I was reading. It was actually a strange article because I couldn't quite fathom the company's agenda. Like It seemed to be about, from the headline, about you know uh, data ownership. And then it kind of felt more less um, onerous than that and more <laughs> they just wanted to make money out of it but you had control of it i don't know so there's a lot of different aspects to this kind of discussion and a lot of it comes from the sort of like the the sort of techno anarchists the libertarians who want to have freedom of data and uh, gdpr lets you do this but then they come from a, a not a very user-friendly perspective you know it's very hard for these sort of uh, projects to replace something like Google because Google is so damn convenient. And this is yeah. why people use it. When you make something complicated, it doesn't matter how great your idea is. If it's no, if not usable and people don't, it's not convenient, then people won't use it. And then you get newer companies coming along, especially with health records. Health records is a really good one to work with because there's some very obvious monetization options. 
it's something that's very personal at the moment. The, the kind of system is kind of broken with health records, yeah. so it's a good one to start with. But I'm still, I kind of feel like a lot of these companies are this this wave of companies that will probably fail, but they will start the discussion. And then maybe the next wave of companies will get it right. And the combinations of things like GDPR and all the various cybersecurity issues that we've had in the past year and privacy issues will make a perfect storm that means people are actually ready for this. Still, I'm still not sure I understand fully the concept of this data ownership. What's, uh, what well, is it, it? it very much varies, but it's this aspect of you being able to, instead of, let's take the Google or Facebook model, that you generate data and the company makes money out of that data you are generating on their platforms. Right. That's kind of the traditional model at the moment. The model here instead is you generate data that you keep and then you say to companies, you want to make money out of this, it's worth X. Give me X for it and then they make X times 10 out of it or whatever it happens to be. This is kind of the idea of a lot of these and how it works depends a lot on what the data is. But at the moment, kind of separating devices, especially mobile phones, especially Android, which is so sort of entrenched in the Google ecosystem already, it's kind of hard to not let that data go elsewhere before you <laughs> kind of get it to yourself. And Apple does this slightly better with things like HealthKit. But at the, at the moment, I think there might be some projects in the US. The US is actually better for the health data because um, the system is a little less regulated than Europe. And also the health system is so expensive that people almost welcome any opportunity to save money. <laughs> so so yeah. it's more it's more likely. But it's it and and then the the other aspects are things like um like DuckDuckGo has had um a lot of news recently for various reasons. And this is another area where they kind of um you can make money out of data on people without it being explicitly about a person and this is how they make their revenue so you can do this anonymization around your data and give your data to a company without it necessarily being directly sort of connected to you and there's a lot of there's a lot of experimentation here and we're getting to a point where it's becoming mature enough that this may be a plausible option and i find it quite fascinating because it really then puts the power in the people to all this data we're generating it's mine i decide what to do with it i don't want to give you any of it I want to make millions out of giving it to you. I want to take, keep some of it to myself and give some of it to you. And and it's coming slowly. And I find it kind of interesting. So it's like, it's as if you were paid for each post on Facebook that you Yeah, pretty much. Publish. Because Facebook makes $10 per post. So you should be able to sell it to them for five kind of thing. You know, <laughs> um, why not? Sounds a bit utopian to me, but uh, I mean. It does, it does. And, and at the moment, it still kind of is. But I think it's getting there. And right. people are starting to think about it more, um, which is what often what's needed. And the GDPR frameworks make this a legal requirement in many cases. So now the data is being exposed. Uh, depending on the company, it's being exposed in usable ways or unusable ways. But it is now being kept more independent of the the the, the tool or the the product. So it's getting easier to get at that and then do something with it. So this this uh, DigiMe in particular was around, I think it was um, general data, but um, a lot of them start with the healthcare use case first, and they are actually currently working with the National Health Service in the UK. Um, and they have 100,000 users, which isn't huge, but for a, a small... It's, I guess it's significant for this stage. Exactly. But there's a lot of these projects, and I've been intending to kind of do a, a wrap-up, but they come and go so quickly. <laughs> <laughs> And there's, yeah, there's a lot of, especially in the blockchain space, there's a lot of them oh. too. And, and then you, 
it's uh, they come and go quite quickly. But especially in the, I think I interviewed one of those emblema a little while back around their health health use as well. And um, it's it's actually I find it quite interesting. But it's like subscription services generally, mm-hmm. you know, with Netflix and all these things. There will come a point where you may have so many of these services you're selling your data to. It'll be like. Anyway, what? what? <laughs> I, it's it's all right. Then there's going to be another service that aggregates all these services and help you helps you understand, gives you gives you a dashboard. That's that's how it goes. Are you buying into any of these services yourself, though? Not yet. I have experimented a little bit with the um, bat tokens in the Brave browser, which it kind of pays you to um, consume content, but the publisher list is fairly limited. I also looked a bit at the AdBlocker Plus has this. Um, the uh, whitelisted ad network, and they're about to introduce a similar time with Flatter, which they took over. I like Flatter. I, th- I think Flatter is yeah. amazing. So they're about to tie those together a bit more. But th- at the moment, the the publishers who support those sorts of things are quite limited. It's very niche kind of publishers. So, um, so I've experimented a little bit with them, but um, uh, I'm, I'm still sort of getting there. And you know, we both, I think, techie use both work for ad supported <laughs> platforms. So you know you. Sort of, uh, you don't want to also bite the hand that feeds you too much right now. <laughs> this is a, until oh. it's until it's more usable. These services. Well, I myself, I mean, uh, for for me, it's been uh, always a thing that I never use ad blockers. Yeah, like I just I just don't do this because I understand uh, that in so many cases it's really hard to survive for media projects in particular yeah. without uh, this uh, kind of revenue. I have on some sites, some sites where the ads are just ridiculous that 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 is true that 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 is true but is there a way to like uh uh, blacklist websites rather than whitelist sites because like i I think adblock was always based on whitelisting rather than the other way uh i think they do tend to do the whitelisting i guess the assumption is most of the time you want everything with a few exceptions yeah yeah exactly for for me it's the other way around (laughs) like there are just a few very annoying ones especially autoplay videos i just want to I, I want them to burn in the uh, flames of the hell, but uh, uh, otherwise it's okay. Otherwise it's fine. <laughs> maybe worked worked for or for places that maybe do these things. So let's just back away before we get to <laughs> I hope not, but let's do it. Right. Uh, coming up next in this episode is an interview uh, that uh, I did with uh, Tavad Hendrikus, uh, co-founder and CEO of TransferWise. Uh, I did this interview back on uh, Slush in uh, December 2018, which means that we did not uh, discuss the latest news uh, coming from TransferWise about uh, their new office in Brussels and uh, the license application. So this is something that is not discussed. Otherwise, it's a really interesting conversation uh, when we talk about, uh, for example, blockchain and the geographical expansion plans of the service. So let's uh, go for this interview and then we're going to be back for events and recommendations part. Hello, this is Andre Degler from Tech.eu recording at the Slush Conference in Helsinki. Today I'm catching up with uh, Tavet Hinrikus, uh, the CEO and co-founder of uh, TransferWise. Hi Tavet, uh, great to have you here. Can you please start with introducing yourself more properly and uh, telling uh, what uh, TransferWise is and what you did before that? Hey, and uh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So TransferWise is a, a new kind of financial services company. We help people and businesses when they are making international payments. And more recently, we've added a new product which also lets people spend money online and offline anywhere in the world. The company was started because of a personal frustration. I'm an uh, expat living in London, 
and realized that moving money between different countries is a real pain in the backside. And then I found a better way of doing it and, and figured out that uh, there are hundreds of millions of people around the world whom we could help if we make it into a product for them to use. And when, when did that happen? When did you start Transcorp? We uh, launched in January of 2011. 2011. And before that? Before TransferWise, I was uh, part of the team that built Skype in Estonia. Right. That's interesting. So uh, six, seven years in TransferWise, which started as a way to just transfer money between the countries. And that's also, I guess, uh, the way that uh, a lot of people still use it, myself included. But I see right now that uh, the offering is much bigger than that. So how do you see the company now? What, uh, what is it now? So we started out letting people and businesses make international payments. And then we kind of spent time with our customers learning how they use the product. And we realized there are more things we can do to help them. So typically ended up that, you know, a customer would use TransferWise, let's say in London, but the customer still had a bank account in France, a bank account in Estonia, and they weren't particularly happy about any of these. So we built uh, what we call the TransferWise Borderless Account, mm-hmm. which is a way to keep money at TransferWise. So you keep a balance. You can do it in, in dozens of different currencies, and you can switch between different currencies with a click of a button on your smartphone. Uh, additionally, we give you local bank account details in US, UK, Europe, Australia, New Zealand. And you get the bright green debit card, which you can use to spend that money online or offline, wherever you are. So we kind of saw it as a way to help people with a new kind of international banking offering. So if you are, if you are either working, living, studying abroad, it's a little tool which helps many people avoid being stung by bank fees and just to kind of make their life easier. This offering sounds suspiciously like a bank. Aren't you becoming a bank yourself? <laughs> uh, absolutely not. You know, we're, we are not aiming to replace your, your bank. We're not building a current account replacement product. We're building something for, for people who are living an international life who otherwise would be stuck with using multiple banks. Or maybe you get a, a multi-currency account from your bank, but I will either come by paying them a very high fee or, you know, being a top 1% HSBC customer where you get a really poor product and you still pay through your nose for it. You know, TransferWise Portless account has no monthly fees, no minimums. We charge you a very transparent fee when you move money between from one currency to another, similar to the TransferWise Send Money product. Right. And uh, I know that recently you also uh, released uh, the Open API, right? So what uh, what is this product for? What we've been doing is we've been building up, up our own rail and our own network for moving money around the world. And that's been kind of a huge investment we've been making for the past seven years and continuing to do it. As you build these pipes to do that, it makes perfect sense to open this up for anyone to use. So we've been building our API now and and we're just opening it up for everyone to use and to integrate with whatever they're doing. As a result, we've had quite a few exciting things which are already live. So if you're a new bank today, if you're like a Monzo or Bank or number 26, you will come with TransferWise built in right away. So all of these uh, and, and many others have integrated TransferWise. So if you're using the Bank app or Monzo app, the international transfer will be done by TransferWise. That's built on top of our API. We also signed a partnership with BPCE, second biggest bank in France. So there are 16 million customers will be having TransferWise soon. So these are examples of what you can do with the TransferWise API. Maybe a, another thing to add here, we also just... Uh, I recently launched integration with Zero. So if you're a freelancer or a small to medium business, it's quite likely you're using Zero for your accounting. And now Zero comes with TransferWise integration as well. So you don't necessarily compete with the banks, but you also partner with banks. Yeah, 
Like, the way I would describe it is that if I spoke about, you know, you would have three banks previously, and now with a borderless account, maybe you can keep your main bank and have the borderless account, and that's kind of how you can do everything you need. Mm -hmm. So, and the clients uh, for the API are mostly challenger banks. It, I mean, BBC is uh, is a very classic bank. So, all kinds of banks and other companies, uh, and you know, I'm I'm pretty excited about what we'll see in the next twelve months in terms of people building exciting things using our API. Right. Uh, so there is, an, I think, still no uh, blockchain exchange on the platform. So what's your general take on uh, blockchain for the financial ecosystem? I think blockchain is uh, is pretty exciting. You know, the idea of distributed ledger and, uh, you know, there are great things uh, that are possible to do with blockchain. I think where we, where we are today is we still don't have many examples of people using it for things which actually solve a real problem. So, you know, we're pretty excited about it and looking forward to seeing people put the blockchain to use in, in various different ways. I, but, but I'm not sure that money is one way where blockchain makes most sense. Maybe, maybe not. So you're not, uh, you're not about to introduce uh, cryptocurrencies on the platform? No. <laughs> and to be honest, uh, there are not many people asking for it either. No, really? You know, we're, you know, we typically, we prioritize things based on what people ask us and uh, you know, there is, uh, you know, many more people are asking us to launch India, for example, compared mm -hmm. to launching uh, whatever coin. So, what uh, what uh, regions are still not covered? Like, what what bigger regions, let's say? So, I mean, you know, we're as our product suit uh, gets bigger, we, you know, there is much more difference between regions. Like, you know, have we launched a borderless card yet, and so on? Like, borderless card came out in Europe. And beginning of next year will be available in Australia, US, and so on. Uh, we are working on launching uh, in India, which I think is pretty exciting. You know, there is much more to do in uh, in Latin America. So uh, still many places to go to. You know, probably you know the bigger markets were probably in already, but it's all it's still still early. India sounds like a huge market. Uh, how come it uh, took uh, all these years to launch there? Uh, we send money to India, but sending money from India has been has been hard for various regulatory and other reasons. Okay, uh, so at Tech.eu, you might know that uh, we do a lot of uh, reports and analysis and stuff like that. One of the things that you do when you do uh, like database and uh, need to categorize uh, companies, you need to pin the company to a certain country. So, is TransferWise an Estonian company or a UK company or <laughs> a worldwide citizen? Uh, I think you need a new category. We're a British Estonian <laughs> company. So you're or, also part we're, of we're a global company, and you're also part of uh, part of so-called uh, Skype mafia. So can, can you tell more about like what is it, and do you actually have any I don't know meetings? Do you keep in touch with the uh, people who also were Skype alumni who went uh, on to uh, start their own companies? I don't think there is such an organized uh, group. But, you know, obviously there are many people, uh, you know, starting with Nicholas himself, who are very active in the ecosystem in various areas. Is there already TransferWise Mafia? There are a number of people who have left TransferWise to start their own company, which is, I think, very exciting. And I'm I'm hoping some of them will, will build great things, you know, hopefully even even bigger than TransferWise. That would be great. So uh, now that we are in uh, Finland on Slash, uh, do you come here every year? I have not been able to come to Helsinki, I think, for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it just ends up being that fall is incredibly busy every year. But I've been to slash Singapore and Tokyo in the past couple of years. So how are you finding it here so far? 
it's great. You know, tons of great people. Uh, so very, very excited to be here. What's your What's your own goal at the conference? So what have you come for? Well, I'm doing uh, a couple of things on stage. So I had a, an exciting panel talking about kind of how boards can be most useful to companies yesterday. And today I will be chatting with Barney from Cleo, which is a, a very exciting uh, banking product. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be having a, a session on stage. And then later I'm talking about uh, the recent letter from 30 entrepreneurs about stock options. How do we make Europe? kind of competitive on on that side to us so a lot of different things plus you know many many dinners and catch-ups with people so it's already actually more than 500 people uh, who signed the letter i just uh, i just checked yesterday so is it something that you're facing issues with as well stock options i wouldn't call it issues i think rather it's a question of opportunities you know it's it's about making sure people understand what stock, stock options are creating a regulatory framework around Europe, which makes it easy. So stuff like that that we need to work on. You know, a transferwise, we've, we've given stock options to every employee since the beginning, and we're pretty pretty proud of having done it that way. Perfect. Thank you so much uh, for joining me today. Uh, this is Andrew Degler from tech.eu, catching up with David Henrikus from Transferwise. Good luck at the conference, and uh, have fun in Helsinki. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to the podcast of tech.eu, episode number 104. I am Andre Degeler, joined today by Chris Chinchella. And uh, now we are going to hear uh, the voice uh, of our third remote, this time uh, co-host, Natalie Novik, who has recorded uh, the event uh, overview uh, for this episode. Natalie, go ahead, please. Hi, this is Natalie, and I'm here to share some of the interesting tech events happening this month. So I wanted to look a little bit into February and highlight some of the interesting things that I found that you might be interested in checking out. On February 12th, there's a great event taking place online. It's called Sustainable UX, Design versus Climate Change. The event is sponsored by the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and brings together a number of great speakers from around the world for a one-day event for UX, front-end, and product people who do work that makes a difference. What I really like about online conferences is that it doesn't matter where in the world you are, anyone can tune in. And something you also notice is that you can also have a lot of great interaction on these platforms. So just think that if you're attending the conference at home, you're not going to get a lot of the interaction out of it because that's really just not the case. Many really exciting speakers from Europe are taking part in this conference and giving their time to this great cause. Sustainable UX has been running since 2016, and all you need to do to get a ticket is to donate to one of the organization's special causes. Um, So it's a really low barrier to entry to. Find out more at sustainableux.com or or in the show notes. And then looking forward into February, the next week you'll find the entire Tech.eu team at TechChill in Riga, which takes place on February 21st and 22nd. So I'll speak on behalf of the whole Tech.eu team here to say that TechChill is one of our favorite events on the calendar. And the really great organizing team brings together a super diverse crowd that doesn't shy away from tough topics. But it's not all seriousness. It's really a, a seriously fun event, too, in a great location. So if you haven't got your tickets yet, what are you waiting for? 
the highlight of the event for me is the 50 founders battle. And I really like how they give such a great platform for these early stage entrepreneurs. And you have really great companies that are, take place every year. Last year's company, Autonomy Next, has really gone on to some excellent things. And then right after Tech Chill on the 24th of February is TechEU's own event happening in Barcelona, Mobile Sunday. Andre and Chris talked about this earlier, so do check out our website for more details. Also on the website, you can find a calendar with all the other events taking place on European Tech this month. And if there's something you've missed, be sure to let us know via the link in the show notes. Natalie, thanks a lot for uh, sharing this. And now this is uh, time for the greatest, in my opinion, part of the podcast. That is the recommendations of uh, books and stories and podcasts and whatnot that we have uh, stumbled upon recently and really wanted to share with the audience. I will start with uh, my uh, story recommendation of the day, and I will start with a quote. Uh, They will never admit it in public, but many of your bosses want machines to replace you as soon as possible. Quote ends. Uh, This is the first sentence of the story uh, that I'd like to recommend. It's entitled The Hidden Automation Agenda of the Davos Elite. And the story is written by Kevin Ruse and published on the New York Times. And it talks about the interesting double think that can be seen today among the corporate executives, particularly at the World Economic Forum. The thing is that on one hand, pressured by shareholders, uh, the executives are obviously craving better profit margins, which often seem to come with process automation. On the other hand, though, uh, there is the narrative about AI taking the jobs from humans, and this narrative is quite strong. Uh, This means that publicly, the executive of the Western corporations, uh, it's a totally different thing uh, uh, in Asia, I guess, and those would be very cautious with uh, what they say about their automation goals. Privately, however, they are unequivocally uh, pro-automation and don't think too much about uh, the workforce uh, that would need reskilling. So check out this story. It is, I think, quite interesting. And of course, there is no silver bullet here, but it's really important to understand what the agenda is like and what can be expected from major players in the US and Europe as the AI development moves further. Have you you noticed uh, something like this? Chris, because I think you talk to corporates a bit more often than I do. Uh, I don't know about that, but um, I've I've been following a lot of discussions around automation and uh, its artificial intelligence and their potential play in our futures, um, mostly from the ethical perspective, uh, sort of like the way that we think about how these things are going to happen and the way that we should create them if they are going to happen. I'm somewhat of an optimist, actually, in this field. I, I generally think things will be all right in the long run. <laughs> but at the same time, I mean, we, uh, I guess on the other side, we're at the moment in the midst of weeks of bad, in quote marks, um, financial reports from major tech companies in the US. And actually, I mean, the numbers are fine, really. So the, <laughs> the, this constant just striving, lower than expected. Yeah, the constant striving for growth that is sort of sometimes just such a stranglehold on on business and if they keep wanting to pushing forward with it they'll have to find more and more ways and this is one way that that could be done and uh, but yeah we really have to i think we really have to take a step back and and look at well anyway a whole bunch of things that probably no one will look at but anyway (laughs) just to to like do we actually need to keep pushing forwards And, and i think this has been one of the interesting aspects of uh artificial intelligence everyone says oh we'll have more time for meaningful things which is potentially true but only if we're allowed to and only if we're given the opportunity and the resources to and if everyone is just kicked out 
from a, a bunch of cold-hearted automation, then it really is a not a great situation. But if it actually is done in a nice way and given people the ability to contribute to society in other ways, then that's great. But who knows? And we get to see. And it, yeah, when you kind of read stories like this and you hear some of the conversations from Davos and things and sometimes you're filled with dread and sometimes you're filled with hope. So it's <laughs> depending who you listen to. Right. I guess the opinion on this also depends on which end of the automation process you are. What do you think? Can you be automated? Definitely. I, I mean, I say I'm an optimist in this, but I'm going to say a quote that might sound the complete opposite of this. And I would say, I would always assume the worst because then you're never surprised. So always think that your job is going to go, always think that you're replaceable, always be ready for the change because then if it, if it does happen, you're ready. If it doesn't happen, great. <laughs> um, That's a lot of insecurity, man. <laughs> I don't know about that. It's, it's flexibility, not insecurity. <laughs> <laughs> you are an optimist after all. Healthy level of paranoia. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think... Um, like especially some of the work I do around the technical writing has already been automated. I'm doing a talk. Well, I'm hoping to do a talk on this, actually, in case anyone is listening from the selection committee. It hasn't been approved. I'm hoping to do a talk on the Rat the Docs in Portland later in the year on this subject. Like there will be places where jobs are, t are removed, but there will be places where there are new opportunities and you have to be prepared for those new opportunities and ready to embrace them. And that's the best we can do, really, because unfortunately, a lot of these sorts of occurrences will be out of our control. So we just have to be as prepared as we possibly can for them. And if they don't happen, great. But if they do, at least we're ready. That's really the best we can do, I suppose. Right. <laughs> do you think it's closely connected to the idea of universal income? Uh, yes and no. I mean, everyone likes to steer clear of using that word for some reason, or that phrase for some reason. I don't really know why. Was it there was um, one American presidential candidate coming up for the next election who has a new word for it, one of the Democrats, but it's basically the same thing. <laughs> and, you know, in Norway, you have a sort of a thing around, like in Alaska, there's another sort of a thing. Some people call it high taxation and reinvesting it. I guess maybe it comes back almost to the um, the discussion we were having earlier about if you give people the power instead of just saying, mandating, you have this free time, you have to do this. You have this free time. We've taken this tax, an AI tax, if you like. You now can use that money to do whatever you like and just trust people. And I had a fascinating conversation with some people on this a year or so ago where someone said, well, what if this person just wants to sit around and play video games all day? The comment was, and so what? A lot of uh, crime in society happens because people are frustrated and bored. If they all really, really want to do with their life is play computer games all day, but they're not going out robbing shops instead, then that's a net positive. So <laughs> not everything has to be like this kind of meaningful input. Sometimes it's things you're also removing because people are less pissed off and stressed in a job they hate, you know. But this is very hard stuff for governments to think about. <laughs> so, so. Okay, last thing on this then, uh, what would you do yourself in this case? At the moment, well, I always make sure I have a good chunk of savings <laughs> in various countries, which sounds very uh, dodgy, but uh, just in case, remain flexible. Um, I think the, the, the general piece of advice is try to remain as creative as possible. The argument is always that the more creative thinking jobs will be the last to go, which I am actually not even completely sure about. I sometimes think humans give ourselves a little more kudos for creativity than we may be. <laughs> I, I, have to, I have to caveat with saying that I'm extremely lucky I don't have a family or anything like that. I don't have anyone who's, I have a wife, but I don't have anyone who's reliant on me. So I can be very flexible and I appreciate that if you have a family, it's harder. 
But my own personal thing is to be as ready as possible, always keep my options open, always keeping an eye out for the next opportunities. I guess at the moment that possibly means sometimes taking on too much work because you're always like, well, it might dry up. I guess the old phrase, make hay while the sun shines, is the, is the phrase, you know. That's my own personal things. And keeping, keeping a, a sceptical and a, a, an optimistic eye out on the news to, to get as broad opinion as possible. Right. And if you were given this freedom to do whatever you want, uh, being displaced from your current job and being given certain income one way or the other, what would that be? I actually would have a grand old time. I got lots of personal projects that I never have time to do. <laughs> and some of them, some people might find interesting. Some of them are probably purely uh, feeding my own ego and desires. Um, but actually, I, I would probably personally welcome it if it was enough money. This is the... Yeah, of course. Of course. And a lot of the time, I don't think the, the concepts of universal basic income have ever been enough money to replace a full-time job. It's been a supplement to something else, maybe reduced hours or something like that. But the fear of having to, you know, this fear of having nothing whilst you look for something you kind of is taken away. I would probably relish it, actually. <laughs> no, no, it's very, it's very similar for me too. So, Chris, what was your recommendation uh, for today? After that really weighty conversation, yeah. mine is really inane. <laughs> so, I came across this blog. I, one of this, I can't even find the author's name. It doesn't actually seem to put the name everywhere. Um, I came across a post uh, on is RSS dead, and I love RSS, so I read this article, and then I saw at the bottom, or originally published on this blog called uh, Two Bit History, and then I came to this blog, and in a very short space of time, this writer, I think every two weeks, has written all these great, like nerdy tech histories. We have things like um, yeah, the rise and demise of RSS, the origins of cats, the, the oh, is it Sinclair Target? <laughs> the Linux command and how Lisp became God's own language. Oh my God! A short history of ChaosNet. Learning Basic, like it's 1983. What did Ada Lovelace's program actually do? Where Vim came from? Okay, I got myself. I'm reading, <laughs> reading for the next couple of weeks, I guess. <laughs> and they're all very kind of nicely, just good bite-sized length posts on these various like nerdy historical topics. And I've been having a great time working my way through them. And I think the other thing I will recommend very quickly for any budding writers out there. I like a lot of, especially when it comes to more creative writing, but also technical writing and journalism has these whole sort of groups of people who like to go around and make it seem way more complicated than it really is to sell courses and books, you know. <laughs> and I recently read a classic book by uh, Stephen King, his on writing book. And whether you like Stephen King or not, he's a successful writer, he's prolific. I mean, he's, he's successful whether you like his stuff or not. And his book on writing, which I think he wrote in the late 90s, is a really good book about the art of writing and how to just get on with it. And he doesn't dress any of his advice up in, in making it seem very self-important. It's just very easy, practical advice on like nice, clear, um, concise writing, which is great. And it's not just about books. No, and especially in the kind of technical writing journalism field these days when you have short content items. I found it a really, really good book that I think anyone could pick up and get a lot of advice from. So I really recommend that book too. Perfect. Yeah, I'm going I'm to read that one as well. <laughs> so Great. Uh, thanks a lot. And now, uh, Natalie, it is uh, your remote turn to uh, give us your recommendation. This week, for the recommendation section, I wanted to highlight a new report that was just done by the British Business Bank in collaboration with Diversity VC and the British Private Equity and Venture Capital Association. 
The report investigates UK venture capital and female founders, and it's one of the most comprehensive investigations into gender diversity in the venture capital industry anywhere. It's pretty big news because diversity on diversity data on venture capital largely remains a black box. If data is available, it usually depends on self-reported data from individual VCs or it's shared via different sorts of case studies. These all tend to remain pretty small. And there's still a lot we don't know about trajectories and funding data and how diversity issues might affect founders from different backgrounds. But we have an indication of how they matter. And given some of the challenges I mentioned earlier, this report that just came out covers only the UK, but it covers a number of really compelling findings, which give, which give an indication of where further research should go. Some of the surprising facts, well, in, in the UK, they find that 75% of pitch decks that reach the BC are from founding teams with no women. The data also finds that all female teams are more likely to experience bias and are somewhat less likely to, ha- to receive a warm introduction than all male founding teams. It also suggests that investors might hold expectations that all female teams might be a riskier investment as compared to all male teams due to their lower frequency. This can have a really big impact when you consider that in the UK, less than 1% of investment from VCs went to all female teams. This report has a lot to impact, and I suggest you have have a look. There are a lot of implications, even if you're not a female founder. Diversity and inclusion issues are a responsibility for everyone in this industry, and it's worth understanding some of the challenges here. So you'll find a link to that report in the show notes, and we'd love to hear your feedback and what you think about the report. So let us know. Thanks a lot, Natalie. Thanks a lot, Chris. This is it, I guess, for uh, today's uh, podcast. Uh, We are almost out of time. I hope uh, everyone enjoyed listening to it. Uh, Please do not miss our new episodes. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app, including Spotify or SoundCloud. Just look for tech.eu podcast. Please leave us a review on your podcast app of choice if it allows it. This will help others find it and will mean a lot for ourselves. Please tell everyone you know about the podcast and follow our updates on Twitter at tech underscore EU and on Facebook. Please also feel free to email us with any questions, suggestions and opinions at uh, andri at tech.eu and natalie at tech.eu. Chris, thank you so much for joining today. It was a pleasure. Enjoy the rest of your week and talk to you next Wednesday. Bye bye. Thank you.